Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hello Catholic Podcast. Uh, I am your podcast coordinator, John Wheeler, for this semester. And this is a talk by Father Branson, recorded, I think, early September. But it's about the relationship between faith and culture. Uh, so I, I hope you guys uh, enjoy it. Also, just keep in mind that we're going to be trying to release new content about every week or every other week. So keep an eye out on your Spotify or your SoundCloud or whatever you listen to us on. Uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. on like the relationship between faith and culture and like how we relate like as Catholics to the outside world and how to navigate that because there's can be a lot of like messiness and complexity in that and also I think one of the most common questions that I get when even talking to students that have graduated is about um, like living the faith like in work or how to talk to others about the faith when it seems like there's no possibility of communication or inroads or things like that and so just to be able to talk about like faith and culture and how that all kind of like comes together and the first thing that I would say is um, that every culture is just a general thing to understand is that every culture offers a proposal of life we don't realize this but every culture offers a proposal of life meaning through the stories that it tells and the things and the, the arts and the things that it does and even the national holidays, it is affirming some sort of value or saying that something is worth emphasizing. For instance, does anyone know the origin of Labor Day? Communists. <laughs> I'm not wrong. The Labor Day, like, people would actually, like, strike during that time. It was, like, this, like, weird trade union socialist, like, group. Okay. Does anyone know anything else about it? It's interesting though, like we get a day off, right? And like, but like, but we know like what, what is Memorial Day for? Fallen soldiers. Yeah, honoring the fallen, right? Like that one's kind of more clear and more obvious, remembering the fallen. The Labor Day was to like affirm the workers that built the country is in essence what it was. And it was instituted in 1882. Uh, the first, like, when it was named the National Holiday, so in 1882, uh, was when it was named a holiday. And so there is aspects of that, but it was also, like, recognizing the country was, like, came to, came to prosperity through, like, workers, right? So it's emphasizing that cultural value. And so if you think about, like, in everything that, like, a culture puts out, the movies, music, art, architecture, everything, it's actually offering a proposal, it's actually whether we realize it or not saying something is important or it's not important. And even in a, a pluralistic society, there are certain things that are actually emphasized. So there's no like neutrality in this, right? In the sense of every culture offers some sort of proposal. And whenever it offers a variety of proposals at once, uh, that can be super confusing for us. And so kind of, and then part of the like thing that we're meant to do is and, and what's fascinating is that even if something has a very clear cultural proposal, the way that we live it can often be separated from that. For instance, like Thanksgiving, right? Like Thanksgiving is talking about a specific historical event that may or may not have happened, but also the idea of gratitude, right? So it's affirming a value. It's good to be grateful, but it kind of stops there. Memorial Day, I think, is actually has like a particular sadness to it in the sense of the best thing that you can do is remember the fallen, like you honor them, right? You honor them, but that's kind of it. But it's, it's fascinating once you start thinking about holidays and things that towns do and things that they celebrate is asking like, what is this affirming? What is it emphasizing? Every culture offers a proposal, but we often don't actually talk about what this is. And especially today in America, in the modern world, there actually isn't a clear proposal of what makes life worth living and what life is for. And in fact, even the few like cultural proposals that we have are so vague that um, 
they may or may not be actually be helpful. They're helpful in that they emphasize some aspect of humanity, but they don't offer a clear proposal. There's a specific moment that I really love in David Foster Wallace's book, Infinite Jest, which is really, I think, an indictment of America in a lot of ways of like the big emphasis on entertainment and being entertained. And uh, part of the plot is this uh, film called Infinite Jest, that is so entertaining that if you watch it, you'll watch it until you die. Like, you go crazy from it, and it's all you'll do. And there's this group of... The, the plot is insane. There's so much going on, but there's, a, like, a group of Canadian terrorists in wheelchairs that are trying to uh, disseminate in the film Infinite Jest, like, to give it basically to be, like, almost like pay-per-view as an option to watch on all of the like in all the TVs around the United States and being like, look, if freedom is so important for you, then like give them the freedom to choose. But if they choose to watch it, then they'll die, right? And so that's one of the things, and so they're arguing about this. And uh, this is the scene, this is Mer the character Marath. He says, always with you this freedom for your walled up country, always to shout freedom, freedom, as if it were obvious to all people what it wants to mean this word. But look, it is not so simple as that. Your freedom is the freedom from. No one tells your precious individual USA selves what they must do. It is this meaning only, this freedom from constraint and forced arrest. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead. But what of the freedom to, not just free from? Not all compulsion comes from without. You pretend you do not see this. What of freedom to? How for the person to freely choose, how to choose any but a child's greedy choices if there is no loving-filled father to guide, inform, to teach the person how to choose? How is there freedom to choose if one does not learn how to choose? Steeply threw away a cigarette and faced partly Marath from the edge. Now the story of the rich man. Marath said, the rich father who can afford the cost of candy as well as food for his children. But if he cries out freedom and allows his child to choose only what is sweet, eating only candy, not pea soup and bread and eggs, so his child becomes weak and sick, is the rich man who cries freedom the good father? So there's like this big debate in the middle of the book about like we talk a lot about freedom and it's usually like freedom from or not being constrained, but we don't ask the question, what is our freedom for? And so there's almost this thing of like, we have this great cultural value of freedom, which is great, but it's not actually answered what our freedom is for. So a culture offers a proposal always, and it offers it through specific cultural gestures and cultural values. But one of the things that's interesting is, is to offer a proposal, I know students, like some of y'all make fun of me for using that word all the time. To offer a proposal is to give a direction. You go that way, right? Like it is worth following in this way. Um, but what's interesting is when a culture doesn't have, like part of the thing that we live is almost like it's just good if something is true, um, which is like truth is super important. But one of the difficulties is if, if the like truth is like nothingness or just to like sit in darkness or sadness, there's no moving forward. Father Jose Medina would always say this line. He said like the negative affirms nothing, meaning there's, not, there's nowhere to go from that. Right? It has nothing to offer as a way forward. So one of the things as well that I, I've seen a lot in our culture today is it emphasizes true things and the sense of like sometimes stuff with like trauma or suffering or difficulty, but it's just pointing out this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, but then it doesn't offer a way forward. And in that it is offering a cultural proposal in the sense of saying there is no way forward because it's not offering a direction. Real culture offers a proposal. You go this way. I wanted to like kind of circle around all of this because I think that we're more like fragmented than ever and people actually hunger for a clear proposal. One of the things that Father Julian, Julian Caron pointed out during, uh, was it uh, the Charlie Hebdo murder? Was it Charlie Hebdo? Uh, the in, one in Paris, right? In Paris, yeah is that like the terrorists at that time, all of them were second generation in France. None of them were actually from Middle Eastern countries. And one of the things that he was saying is, is what does it say about the culture that we're in that people choose radicality, that people choose 
a like this thing is so de decadent, like there's nothing to offer here that it's worth destroying. And that people actually look for a serious cultural proposal. And not only that, but someone who's willing to give their life for something. And one of the things we don't talk about enough is with like sometimes extremist groups is asking the question. Sometimes people are like, they're so like dumb, like whatever, why would they fall into that? But asking like, why would someone follow this? And what we've heard from people that tend to get out of like gang life and like, like, or like terrorist groups or things like that is they see someone who's serious about life and offers a clear cultural proposal. And when you don't actually have that, the heart desires for it so much, you either choose entertainment and distraction or radicality, right? Even to the point of violence and even like within that as well, violence of one's reason. Right? So one of the things that's particularly symptomatic of the lack of a cultural proposal is like these explosions of violence in whatever form, because it's like the need for meaning is so great that people will latch on to wild stuff because they see someone who takes life seriously and offers a proposal. Right? Um, there's a lot more to be said about this. The thing where I would argue that Christianity comes into the scene is the announcement that meaning himself like god the mystery behind everything became man and entered into human history comes crashing into human history and this point that god became man is crucial and for me one of the most beautiful things of all because it means and i know we talk about this a lot but it means that our humanity matters and that he came to save what is human he came to save all that is human and that christianity and specifically Catholicism has always offered a cultural proposal that is meant to save what is human. The two times for me that I feel this very dramatically is one, Memorial Day. Again, we talk about that it's good to honor the fallen, but there's always something like sadness about that of the best thing that you can do is remember. And when we celebrate Mass, right, you're offering for so you're praying for and you're taking up everything and you're offering it to God. So it's not just I'm helpless and I remember, but I actually offer them to God. I, there is something I can do in front of that. But there's also a second part of it where if they are in heaven with God, if they are part of the communion of saints, then by receiving communion, I draw closer to them. Right. So you see that there is they like in the Eucharist, there is an answer to the kind of cultural proposal that's given in Memorial Day. Thanksgiving is another example where it talks about like just kind of like being grateful, but it never like specifically gets at who do I thank, right? Uh, Christian Wyman said like when I, I, like I began to believe in God when I met my wife because I needed someone to thank. I needed someone to thank. She like knocked him down so much that he was like someone has given her to me. I need to thank someone. So you talk about Thanksgiving, and I'm always so moved at celebrating the Eucharist on Thanksgiving. Like, he took bread giving thanks. Eucharist means Thanksgiving. So it's like, all right, like, there are beautiful things, and the fact of our being together is a miracle. And I thank you, God, and you, God, bring us together. Even in the midst of suffering, because it's on the night of his passion that he says, like the night before his passion, the night of his betrayal, when he says he took bread giving thanks. That moves me every time. And so there's actually a fulfillment. And I saw this in the Missionaries uh, of Life team when every Thanksgiving, after that they have Mass, they have their Thanksgiving meal, and then they go to do just a little bit of time of like praise and Thanksgiving in the church where they intentionally like thank the Lord for things. So it happens in the liturgy and it happens also in another specific way where they like sing praise to God and thank Him for specific things. So you see that cultural value that stops at a vague sense of gratitude actually meets its fulfillment in what we live as Christians and as Catholics, right? All of this, like what we live, are meant to live, uh, the church offers a cultural proposal that comes out of the experience of the encounter with God become man. And things are generated out of that, uh, that generate a new culture out of the encounter with that, that are meant to make us more human not less. And so like, I would argue that like part of what we're called to do is, uh, first of all, to live this experience together and allow Christianity and specifically Catholicism to help to like make us more like human and also more divine, like, like God, both of those things. And it happens through a specific way of living life. 
and we're actually meant to make a judgment of does this make me more alive or not like it offers a, a cultural proposal and in living it i need to verify whether or not it's true whether or not it makes me more alive uh i like feel this very dramatically like whenever we're in like whenever we were in peru on mission trip for me like the first experience of it was in nicaragua and it was like i'm like digging ditches like next to people why do i feel so alive and it's like oh like in christianity we say that like we're made in the image and likeness of god and god is charity like god is love caritas right and so it makes sense actually that if i am made in his image and i am doing an act of love that i feel alive because that's how i am made right whereas just distraction or entertainment it may like anesthetize but it doesn't make one alive so part of what we're, do, we're meant to do is to like understand and live the cultural proposal that comes out of the experience of Catholicism. So culture comes out of the experience. Traditions are made, right? Things happen that come out of it. Traditio means to hand over, right? And so things are always, so like one of the things I'm always fascinated by is in like the liturgical calendar, whenever it offers a celebration, especially a holy day of obligation to, to ask, why is this being offered? What is it proposing to me? A canonized saint is being celebrated. It's on the liturgical calendar. There's lots of saints that aren't. Why is this saint being proposed? Whenever a saint is canonized, what is the church trying to say to me today that it's emphasizing through the life of that person? Right? Then things become really fascinating and beautiful. The other part of what we're meant to do is, again, if God became man... Uh, and came to save our humanity, then part of what we're meant to do in relationship with the outside culture is to look at the other proposals and make judgments of like affirming what is human and what isn't. What is actually a proposal and what is a dead end. St. Paul says in the letter to uh, Timothy, test everything, retain what is good. Test everything, retain what is good. Uh, and you see like St. Paul do this in the Areopagus, right? Where he's walking around looking at all the like things of the gods and he points to the tomb of the unknown God and he's like, I know who he is. He has revealed himself to us, right? He takes what's there and he affirms what's good. And part of what like even uh, Pope Benedict once said that like in every culture, because of original sin, there's something in every culture that is anti-human. That because of original sin, there's something in every culture that is anti-human and that goes against our humanity. And part of what the church is meant to do is, in relationship with that culture, try to purify that culture, to affirm the good, what is actually good, true, and human, and points to God, and to purify out what is not that. I wrote my, uh, for my like uh, specialization in church history, I, I wrote one of my like thesis papers on uh, the method of evangelization of the white fathers in uh, Uganda, something very common for everyone, you know? But like Uganda is fascinating because it experienced uh, Islam, Protestant Christianity, and Catholicism all within 60 years. And each one offered kind of a different thing to the culture. The kingdom of Uganda, which was called Buganda at the time, was run by the Kabaka. And it was a um, polytheistic religion and a polyamorous culture. And actually the structure of society was built around uh, that like polyamorous structure. So you had the, the man's home and then the other like uh, corresponding homes built around it would be the, the specific wives with their kids. So literally the structure of the society was built around polygamy and often like the women and children were not treated very well. One of the fascinating things is when uh, Catholicism comes in, people are struck by it, moved, and actually desire to be baptized. And one of the battles they had to fight is like, hey, like, we actually believe in like uh, the complementarity of man and woman, and that like if you're going to make this vow of like I am for you, it's to like one person, and to do that with multiple people is actually like not true, and that's not like sacramental. And so if you're going to like be baptized, then you need to be married to your first wife. You need to make sure the other wives and kids are taken care of. For a lot of people, they're like, actually, like, we're just going to admire Christianity from a distance. We're good. Uh, but there were people that did, and actually Catholicism really flourished in Uganda after their first experience of martyrdom. Um, it's a fascinating story. Uh, but, like, you see there that there's something, like, anti-human or actually, like, not healthy in the culture 
that is like bumped up against. And so the church is always trying to affirm the good in a culture in the sense of this points, like this is authentically human and points to the mystery, points to the true, the good, and the beautiful. And it also tries to like purify and warn against that which isn't. Um, for my like book club, we were doing Crime and Punishment. And there's like part of the whole thing of Crime and Punishment, if you haven't read it, is, a, is someone who takes seriously a bad philosophy and it breaks his humanity. That's what the book is about, right? Um, and this is what the person says to him. Um, because he's like, again, without giving anything away, it's this theory, it's the like new nihilism that was hitting Russia at the time, and even this idea that like there's certain people that are like built differently. I know everybody talks about that, especially with COVID. They're like, I'm just built different, right? But this like moral theory of when you look throughout history, the people that change things are the ones that don't follow the rules and that kind of break the rules, and that's how progress happens historically. And they're the people that are so great that they don't need to follow the rules because they break it and they make it better, right? And that's how we advance as a society. And this guy believes that he's one of those uh, and does an act of violence, and what he discovers in himself is that he's not more alive, but that he's actually extremely broken. And it like breaks him in a deep way. And in fact, the one person he discovers that's alive uh, is this woman who is a prostitute who despite all of the terrible things that she suffers, she's like sane and stable. And it's actually because of her Christian faith. And there's this one point where like he is, he is confronted and by like the policeman, the policeman says, um, how much have you lived so far? How much do you understand? He came up with a theory and now he's ashamed because it didn't work because it came out too originally. Uh, I know belief doesn't come easily, but don't be too clever about it. Just give yourself directly to life, right? And then, like, actually, he's like, give thanks to God that you didn't believe in even crazier theory. He says, it's good that you only killed a little crone. If you'd come up with a different theory, you might have done something a hundred million times more hideous. Maybe you should still thank God. How do you know? Maybe God is saving you for something. Be of great heart and fear less. Um, and then he says... Uh, you no longer believe your own theory. What would you run away on? And what would you do as a fugitive? It's a nasty and hard to be a fugitive. And first of all, you need a life in a definite position, the proper air, and would that be any air for you? You'd run away and come back on your own. It's impossible for you to do without us. But the policeman is like, look, like you need a definite life and a position, a position in front of life. Like You actually need meaning, and so you're not able to run away because your heart is made for meaning. And part of this is Dostoevsky actually like warning against the philosophies of the time that weren't actually livable. And people today in the modern world live philosophies, whether everyone has a philosophy, whether they realize it or not, but they live a philosophy that's actually not livable and not good for them. And they often don't realize it. But everyone does have some sort of cultural proposal that they've inherited from usually a variety of different sources. And part of the responsibility and like the gift of like the Catholic or the Christian in the public square is to like affirm what is authentically good and human, but to also point to the things that are dead ends and say, no, 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 like you're actually meant for something more. Like this is deeper. Don't stop at the level of the thing. This is what we call the sacramentality of the world, right? Sacrament, a visible sign that points to an invisible reality. But we believe in like the sacramentality of the world that everything is a sign of him, like points to the deeper reality of God. And this is the thing that I love so much about the faith and like being a Christian and being a Catholic is that it actually like Jesus like makes all of like, like people in a really fragmented world where like reason and faith are totally separated and faith in everyday life or every are separated think that like to be faithful, to be a good like Christian means actually to run away from life. Or to have like just the head and like one's head and one's in the clouds, right? But that's actually like not true. It's meant to be diving deeper, more deeply into reality. And so like we're actually meant to like appreciate music more. We're meant to appreciate art more, literature more, uh, mechanics more. Like everything is actually meant to be more interesting, not less, because it's a sign of him. There are specific people that are called to the contemplative life right to go from the sign to like be in front of the reality but in some ways like like we here that are in like the world are meant to offer a lived proposal 
to help people to move forward, right? And I think, and I like wanted to like kind of go into all of this here at Georgia Tech because there's lots of people that one are like have a, a proposal of life that is actually kind of a dead end, and you realize it when people break, right? If it's just schoolwork or just success, either they get it and it's really hollow and it like empties them out and it's unsatisfactory. Or they don't get it and they feel like they're a failure and that like life is done, right? But either way, it actually ends in disappointment. And there's something super healing about living the Christian proposal where it's, no, I'm like called to do these things and it's a sign of something deeper and I don't find my identity in it. I find my identity in the one who gives me these things. So everything that we're meant to live is supposed to be more human, not less. And so that's why, like, even with faith formation, as we, like, go forward, like, my desire is that it be not just good theology, although we really desperately need good theology, because good theology is connected to good anthropology of what it means to be human, right? Because God reveals who we are and who he is, and it's intimately connected, because we are made in his image and likeness. But that good formation actually involves the whole person. And that's not like just being relevant or being a cop-out. I used to think that it was. My first year of seminary, they would talk about like formation. And they break formation up into four parts. Uh, human, uh, spiritual, pastoral, and intellectual. Those are the four, like they called them pillars at the time. They now call them dimensions of formation, right? Human, uh, is he like a good man? Uh, spiritual, does he pray? Does he know the Lord? Is he growing in the spiritual life? Intellectual, right? Does he think? Uh, does he like understand things, right? And then pastoral, is he able to minister to and serve others? And what was interesting is they said that the most important one was human formation. And I always bristled at that and I was like, shouldn't it be spiritual formation? Like that doesn't sound right at all. Like you'd think it would be spiritual formation. But you go back to Thomas Aquinas, right? Who says grace builds on nature. Your nature matters, right? And actually the thing that really, because I, I bucked at this for a while and was basically like, this is people that are not serious about sanctity was basically my critique of it. it. Took a really long time to understand, oh, no, 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 God's method is our humanity. He became man. So that's why humanity matters is because it's the instrument of the divine, right? The instrument of the divine is the human. Jesus Christ, he who has seen me has seen the Father, right? Like he sends the Holy, he breathes the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. Uh, it's, it's through that. And so like part of our like formation is like formation of the human, not as like dodging, not, it's not so that we can make like Christianity relative others and like not talk about God, but that like he saves everything that is human and that is like beautiful, like some of the most alive people I've ever met are like my friends who are like living the faith, right? And love like beautiful music, that love architecture, that love good philosophy, right? That like love like their trade, that love education and teaching, that love being fathers and like the difficulty of like, like raising children. My buddy calls me once in a while, he's like, this is what I learned from my kid today, right? Or we're like trying to figure out this specific thing. He hates potty training. And we're like, how do we like do this, right? And they're like, instead of it being a, a frustrating thing, it's fascinating. And, how, and I see the difference of like other people where all of life is the elimination of problems and problems keep showing up and that's kind of miserable. But this is meant to be this like beautiful road. So we have a like really important, beautiful cultural proposal that is meant to be offered for others through like the liturgical life, which offers a real proposal of our humanity, but also along with that and not like separate from it is the way that we live life together. So we talk about like the time of fasting and the time of feasting, right? Lent, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. I may have given, uh, I'll give one more example and then uh, I'll uh, like give a space for like conversation and questions. But uh, I was really struck by this specific comedian, uh, Bert, I mentioned this before at Daily Mass, but this specific comedian, Bert Kreischer, uh, he's friends with a bunch of other comedians, and uh, they were all worried about the amount that he was drinking. Uh, they were like, how much are you drinking every day? And he was like, seven, eight. And he was like, I didn't tell them that they were all doubles. 
So they were all worried about him, and they were like, all right, we're going to do this thing as friends. So it was like Joe Rogan, Ari Shafir, Bill Burr, like Burt Kreischer, all of them. They did this thing called Sober October, where they're like, together, we're going to not drink, and we're going to do fun things together. We're going to do, like, uh, we're going to, like, drive, like, fast cars together. We're going to do hot yoga together. We're going to do, like, all of this, like, activities together, and we're going to not drink together. And that first one, uh, Burt Kreischer lost like 40 pounds and he was like, it was the best. He was like, it was the best time of my life. And like, he's like, we're going to do it every year. And he's like, it's my favorite time of the year. And I was so fascinated because it was like, huh, a time of like purification and like fasting and doing that together as a community, you've really come upon something new. <laughs> like this is Lent. <laughs> like, but with a, Lent is like much deeper thing. And these guys, like, including Joe Rogan, who's like a fallen away Catholic, think that they like discovered something totally new and crushed it. And it's like, yeah, actually the church has been doing this for like 2,000 years. <laughs> but there's a disconnect, right? Where these guys that are actually like kind of like in the cultural world ahead of the game and discovering these things are ahead of the game because the culture has nothing to propose and yet are behind by the church by 2,000 years and have no idea. And some of them are fallen away Catholics. Bert Kreischer and Tom Segura and Joe Rogan are all fallen away Catholics. So it's like, all right, what's going on here that they don't see the connection between what the church proposes and everyday life to where they live this with their friends and love it, but it's out like a very shallow sense and it could be something so much deeper. So you see, we're called to like live both of these things together, right? And then also we're supposed to dialogue with the culture in the sense of affirming what's true and what's good, but also pointing out, yeah, this is a dead end. And you can see it because the people that are living it make it a dead end, right? Chesterton said the greatest way to destroy a utopia is to establish it. Meaning, right, like when you live it to its consequences, you discover whether or not it's true. I saw this in like this... Uh, documentary that came out recently about anarchists and the like anarchist community that was started up in Acapulco and there's it's a little bit mean-spirited but so difficult not to laugh every time they complained about the lack of organization of things uh, and the need for like someone to take charge uh, just every time it was like guys like do you not see and what was really fascinating too is one of the guys what, there's a family that's kind of like the pillar for all the things going on and they asked the guy, like, all right, like, you're, you're anti-statist, like, in, against all of it, but, like, your daughter, uh, your daughter that was just born, did, like, you get her a birth certificate? Did you register her with the state? And he was like, you know, philosophically, like, I'm really against it, and I don't think that we should, and I don't think the government has a right to it or any of that. But he's like, but I can see how it's advantageous for her to have it. So we did it for her. So it was so fascinating that when it actually came down to living it, he was like, for her, out of love for her, like she like has a birth certificate and she's registered. So he goes against his philosophy and the real relationship with his daughter that he loves. Fascinating. But then it like gets stuck as like just a vague intellectual philosophical position. All of this is to say that like, uh, this is what like growing in formation like in being formed looks like and why like we do the things that are here right community life like it's important to be together and to stay together and to live life together right and that comes out of actually the liturgical life we worship together and we live life together and in the like very early church like those were the same where you had the meal and within the meal was the eucharist right it was actually together at that time uh theology has developed since then so it's this like understanding more deeply the transcendent aspect of it but it's like man like the way that we live life out here is meant to be an expansion of what we live in there right to live what we receive in the body of christ uh to like intellectual formation right so understanding like good theology but good theology connected to like good uh, anthropology and so that's why we have like the essentials library is we talked a lot about, like, and many people don't kind of know that it exists. And part of what I wanted to do is, like, these are the resources that we offer to help with that. Is we had a lot of conversations about, all right, like, what are the, like, what do we desire for people coming out of college? Like, how do we help them to be adults in the faith? Adults in the faith in the sense of, like, they know God. They know that they are loved. They are sons and daughters in the Son. 
they live the proposal of the church and they are striving to follow him within their circumstances and are seeking to grow and actually share this with others. Adults in the faith in that sense, right? And know what it looks like to grow. That part's crucial. Because again, in a world where people are like existentially lost, people want to grow and they don't know how and they don't know where to go. And in that tension, it's easy to be radicalized or taken advantage of or to be caught in an ideology. But the human heart desires these things, truth, goodness, beauty, justice, love, unity, right? Like it, we're made for them. Um, and so like, for instance, like one book I think is like really crucial for people to read is like C.S. Lewis's Four Loves. And the reason why is because I see a lot of the way, like a lot of the reasons that people don't understand God is because they don't understand genuine relationship. And so like friendship and the erotic gets tangled up, right? And if you don't understand healthy relationship, how can you understand God who is Trinity, who is relationship, three persons, one God, right? Just like we can communicate if you don't know language, right? Or if you don't understand the relationship between object and sign. There's something that comes first, communication, and then the meaning can come across, right? And so it's like, all right, like this is why like, for me, it's like, all right, do we understand these human things so that we can learn the good theology? I think people, if people don't understand relationship, they can't understand who God is. And he actually came to save that. So like four loves. Do we understand the Christian, Christian proposal when it's full breadth? That's why like the is it possible to live this way on faith, hope, and love are there. To understand the structure of faith philosophically and like in a lived life. Um, medical ethics, like some people here are going off into the medical field. The church actually has a document called Ethical Religious Directives of what to do in ethical situations, and it's super nuanced and complicated, and people don't realize that it exists. And my medical ethics professor said every year he changed 30% of the curriculum because of new things going on. The church is actually like really nuanced and at the cutting edge of these things and like the questions of morality. Part of the difficulty is nobody realizes it. Yeah. I was going to add a fun fact for that. The pontificate of science, a lot of people don't know about. I only found out about it recently. Like the heads of like all the men and women in like the top of their fields, like advise the Vatican and advise the Pope like every single year on the advancements in their field. So it's really cool. This is one of the difficulties of like the world that we live in is there's a total disconnect between like there's incredible stuff out there. And because you don't have a lived cultural proposal and people don't know who to trust, there's no way of getting that stuff there, right, to, like, people. There's actually, the Vatican put out a document called The Vocation of a Business, business Person. Fascinating. Really, really interesting. We have copies of it there, right, at our library. Basic apologetics, like, how to art, understand and articulate. That's why I like Scott Hahn's Rome Sweet Home as, like, a experiential conversion, right? But also Alan Shrek's Catholic and Christian, because he was a convert, and he uses kind of Protestant language, which is very different, right, than someone coming from a scientist, scientism, materialist background, right? So even being able to articulate the faith, if you're articulating the faith with like a hardcore, uh, like God-fearing Bible person, like to do apologetics with them is very different than with someone who has no understanding of religiosity at all. Quoting scripture with that person is not going to be helpful, right? So there's like these interesting things where you see like fragmentation of the human person. And so like that is something like the faith is life series, like theology of the body, uh, all the things that we offer, like outreach. It's actually meant to be like educating the whole person uh, and it is like really important in that regard. I don't want to go on off on like too many other tantrums, like uh, not tangents, not tantrums. <laughs> uh, one last thing, and it's something I kind of want to emphasize this semester I've been thinking about is, again, like the way that we live together really matters. And if you look at St. Benedict, uh, like someone who lived in a lot of chaos, like the fall of the Roman Empire, and there's lots of things going on. Civilization is kind of rebuilt through the Benedictine monasteries, right? And he offers a like rule of life, but it's for like growing in like being human, like he was rehumanizing barbarians in a very real way, uh, like teaching them again what it means to be human. But it starts like, again, with like this thing of like a father, you remember from the beginning, Marath and Steeply, of the father who, you can't have real freedom without actually a good father because the child will choose candy and it makes them sick and then they're not free. So you actually need a good father in order to grow in freedom, 
This is crucial, right? Uh, Benedict, like, it begins, listen, my son, with the ear of your heart to the Father who loves you, right? Uh, Beautiful. And he gives the rule as a help. One of the things I really desire for our community is that people live in their household or their apartments, like, not necessarily with a rule, although I think that'd be really interesting and cool, but, like, living intentionally together, right? Do they eat together once a week? And understanding, like, that is living Christianity. Do we cook together once a week? Do we, like, have a simple, like, thing of praying together of even, like, night prayer? Is there a space to share honestly, like, what's going on? Like, how are you doing? Do we, like, intentionally check in on each other? And building that so you have a space that helps you to really live, right? And out of that actually generates a culture. I love that, like, one of our missionaries, Dylan, is like, all right, every time the Gloria is said at Mass, we get ice cream, right? Because something beautiful has happened. That is a cultural expression, right? We are like often disconnected from these things. Um, but I think that uh, living that, like we're actually offering something that is like incredibly like healing for the whole world because it's a genuine proposal that you can move forward from and it saves everything that is human. Questions, comments, thoughts. Yeah. You brought up him saving what is human and then like the ways How do you think, like, us as, like, Americans, but as Catholics, or, like, even as Georgia Tech students, but, like, as Catholics, like, what part of our humanity do you think most or, like, still needs to be saved? Hmm. I mean, if we're speaking, like, honestly on this campus, uh, gosh, I think one, the, like, and another thing that I think is, like, anthropologically really important is this this thing of, like, the only thing that evil can do is twist good things. Right? When Augustine talks about evil as like nothingness, the only thing evil can do is twist good things. So, and, and G.K. Chesterton says it another way. He says, every error is a truth gone mad. There's always something true within it. So when you see something going awry, what is the good thing that in the name of saving is actually being destroyed? You see a lot of people at Georgia Tech and uh, they're very like intelligent and very, very driven. And one, that drivenness can be to the exclusion of other things. So one thing that I think like needs to be saved is like the relationship with one's humanity. Especially when you really emphasize technology, you begin to think about, I actually read the Georgia Tech article where I was talking about like the brain just as a computer. And that was like front page of like the Georgia Tech thing that we get every day, right? And it was like, that's it, it's a computer. That's all it is. Like there's no sense of anything deeper, right? And so, uh, that I think is like one thing is like the, like Wendell Berry said at the end of the day, we need to choose whether or not we are creatures, meaning created or machines like that actually like matters. So, but I, I mean, I, I see a lot of things of like, do we take time to rest? Do we take time to share life together? Do we ask for help? Right. All of this is super symptomatic. Everything talking about mental health. You can see it. Like there's something that we're living that's actually breaking us. And it's not because we're made badly. It's like not doing an oil change in your car, right? It's not that there's anything wrong with the car. It's that you don't know that the car needs to have its oil changed, right? So they're, like, we need to like, pay attention to like, the things that are like, even the like, problem is, is symptomatic and revealing something. And we can look at that with positivity because we know that there's someone loving us. And so it's like the thing you see where we're going awry, we actually have the freedom to point to it and be like, this is actually like not good because you have hope. If you have despair, you just pretend like it's not. Someone who is in like terrible debt, they do not check the bank account, right? Just don't look, avoid it. It's hope that actually gives you the capacity to criticize in a positive sense, meaning to like sift through. So we can look at things like with hope in that. But I, I, I mean, there's a bunch of examples, right? Uh, those are kind of just immediate things that I'd see. I'd be curious to hear anybody else's thoughts on this. Yeah. I think the one thing that's missing is silence. Now, let me... So the big thing with silence is silence allows you to really reflect on yourself, right? Like life and death are in the power of the tongue. But when you look around, and this isn't to go on some like unhinged like old person technology rant, but it's like <laughs> you do really do look around and like people have their AirPods in or you go to the library and it's all loud, like there really is no like silent, silent space that has people in it, right? 
And this is sort of like symptomatic of like, oh, people just don't want to look at themselves, right? Because again, when you're in silence, you have to force to, you can't distract yourself by your own thoughts or yeah. by external things. Like you actually have to look at yourself. And I genuinely think that the lack of silence in modern society is a big plague. And especially at Georgia Tech where yeah. like a lot of this information you can it's very like it's very easy to contemplate it, right? Like God's beauty, like even just looking at a tree, right? But because when people are silent, they naturally see things, and when people see things, that naturally leads them to God. In this regard, noise is like a stumbling block. Yeah, absolutely. But and if you think about it, it makes sense why we like we avoid silence because existentially, like if there's nothing there, if it's just nothingness, right? To be silent is to be reminded of your loneliness that you are alone makes total sense why people avoid it, right? It's not even necessarily out of, uh, it's more out of like fear and weakness than, you know? And so that's why I actually think like the chapels are such a gift. And so even like the way we live with our friends of being like, look, like if you need like a minute to breathe, like you can go to this place. It's really precious. But I think like lack of silence, like absolutely. And that this exists in us too. Okay, so starting off, comment and then a question. The comment, when I walked up, you were in the middle of saying the point that offering a strong cultural proposition um, and living out the faith is one of the strongest things that you can do as a Catholic, one of the best things you can do. It immediately it reminded me of an awesome quote by a gentleman named Seraphim of Sarnoff. He says, if you acquire a peaceful spirit, thousands around you will be saved. And I think that that speaks to exactly what you're getting at and goes into the question that I have. So if we're wanting to offer a strong cultural proposition to folks on our campus, it's one thing to be living your life hunky-dory, where you're focusing on those four dimensions that you talked about, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going out of your way to bring people into it, or that people are even going to notice it. Because like what Josh said, everyone's you know, sensory overload, you're always working, there's, there's no silence, not a lot of people are observing. So what can we do to make sure that even if interiorly we're making great strides, we can extend a hand and offer a strong cultural proposition to others that may be seeking it, despite not knowing it? Yeah. Like, two things. One, when Jasani first went up the steps of the Berchet School where he taught, he, asked, he left the seminary to teach at a public school. And he said everything that, like, he was filled with desire to share with them what he had lived, like, to hand over what he had received, right? Uh, one, I think, is to be, like, filled with, like, this desire. Uh, and within that, though, to be the ones to, like, ask people how they're doing, to, like, pay attention in your classroom. First, it's an interior experience, right? So, like, when I'm in, a, when I'm in my class, do I, like, take a moment to like be aware of what's going on around me and that all these people are people right with like stories and interior life do I take a moment to like say a prayer for them right do I like say hi to people do I pay attention right like this is actually like meant to be because right now your vocation is student the way that you bring others to sanctity is like being a student actually which is fascinating because anything that you follow seriously will lead to God I'm convinced of this. Anything you follow seriously will lead to God, right? So we're the ones that like follow things seriously, risking that it actually leads to God. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. The, the thing that comes to mind is like, and perhaps this is a misconception <clears throat> on my part, the best students are the ones that they contribute in class, they're, they get good grades, they understand the material and act in good faith. Like they, they help people learn. I don't think that that correlates with like people coming closer to God consciously. Perhaps unconscious, like that's glorifies him, but if the best students are all atheists, I don't think that statistically they'll become more inclined to become Christians because they're high-performing students, I think the opposite happens. That arrogance tends to be developed. Um, if you're a really good student, people tend to think like, oh, I'm so smart, and there a lot of pride coincides with that. Hmm. Um, so perhaps could you reframe? So Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete, who uh, was an astrophysicist before he was a priest, uh, said that when he was in lab, 
the other scientists would be like, look, like you do, like he's like, they were like, look, we have this question, like you with us and you do good science and you say that you believe in science, but one day a week you go to this place and say that this man rose from the dead, like came out of a tomb, like how does that work, mm -hmm. right? The question is in front of them because he's actually takes science seriously. And they're like, like this person takes science seriously and there's something more going on here and they're intrigued by it, right? So like it doesn't necessarily mean to be like being like a student itself, but by through following that and living your life, like we are the ones that are meant to be more alive and see things, right? And so like to be the one to like the other person be like, hey, how are you doing, right? Like the way that we live is then meant to like express that. And there is a space to invitation, right? Uh, within that, but like without making it too like programmatic or strategic, I'm convinced it's living life with others. And like I see this even in like my friends growing up where uh, one of my friends who I love, so like my best friend, he isn't Catholic, he's a teacher, has lots of questions about how to educate right now when people seem kind of existentially dead. When high schoolers, like, he's like, there's no interest. They're, they're not alive. And uh, I was like, do other teachers talk about this? And he was like, yeah, they just complain. And I was like, is there any place that is helpful for you in this? And he was like, honestly, the only thing that has helped me to take seriously my teaching is when I read Jasani, which we read Jasani stuff on education like six years ago. And it's still helpful to him today. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting, right? But like, I, like, he is the one, because of what he has met, and even like us talking about this, and he's just a really remarkable guy, but he is the one of the teachers that is taking seriously the desire to be like, what does it really look like to educate? How do we love our students in this? The other teachers have the same desire, but it stops. It stops at well, these kids just like COVID ruined them and that's it. And it ends at the level of complaint instead of how do we do this? What does it look like to, to educate our students? What is at the origin of this? So the person that's like, no, I actually desire to really educate my students and I want to take this question seriously. Who will do this with me, right? That's the one that awakens everything. People can respond or not respond, right? But like, the one who is like living life seriously. I, I get it now. I, thank you for clarifying. There's, there's a lot more that could be said and I don't want to like, because part of this is like figuring this out for ourselves. Yeah. That's half the fun, right? And it is fun, it's interesting. Did you, was it a question or? Oh no, I was just okay. gonna ask you. Oh, you were gonna add something? Go ahead. No, oh, no. I just thought like, I was just like, that was making me think of like, anytime that like, like if you have an experience before, it can feel like so abstract. Or like I've like had very lived experiences of like being a student, and then like people see things, but it's never like I'm living something out that's like you know out there, and I'm like you know, you know I just like it's very like like just see like the joy that I have, or like when bad things happen, like how I like can still like have a smile on my face and keep going, and then they ask me why, and I say it's because of God, and like. And then we've, we've, I've had like amazing personal encounters, but they come out of the blue and I don't even realize that they're happening. But like they, like every, every second that you go through the day, like, like how you're living your life and like how God is affecting you is radiating out of that. Are there any other like questions before we? Go ahead, Josh. Okay, so another thing I did notice is this borderline, quite frankly, psychotic tendency among, like, sometimes I've seen a tech where people, or not even just that tech, where people will just, like, treat each other like, oh, okay, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. I think you addressed this in your Sunday homily, uh, where it's like you don't want to truly treat the person as a gift. You want, like, uh, you you want their you want their like abilities you want base you basically just want to use them like a tool right yeah uh, group projects anybody <laughs> <laughs> no, networking, networking. Yeah. Uh, 
And I, I thought, like, bring that up with relation. Like, obviously, man is meant for community. Like, even the way we're saved is through, like, a community, right? Uh, and I think there's just something, quite frankly, very anti, very anti-human, very dehumanizing about the way that uh, people can get treated. Uh, I just want to bring that up. I don't have anything too much to say. And I think we have to be and one of the things is like this is meant to be a place of like for all of us like education growing and so part of the thing is like we need to stay in front of these questions together like as a community right like i want people to talk about like how do we be how do we help each other to be good students right how do we love like the other classmates do we love them freely or do we like fall into these same tendencies as well but we have to have these conversations as a community right and to be able to like be really honest about it, especially for those that um, maybe don't have the best like roommate situations. Is there a space to be like, how do I love my roommate well, right? Uh, it's really important. Um, I see a lot, uh, especially very recently, a countercultural movement that very much recognizes everything that the Catholic Church holds for Christianity holds by people finding like, oh, modernity is not good, like there's actually objective truth, objective beauty, uh, the marriage, like marriage is important, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of people that pretty much believe everything the Catholic Church teaches because they actually have found it to be very practical and true and like makes sense, like this makes a good society. But then when it comes to like, oh, it's not just about like, yeah, the morality makes sense because it's true. When it comes to, like, oh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or baptism, or marriage is useful, not because of society, but, like, it actually has sacramental nature. How do you make the jump with people that, like, recognize the value, like, I guess the practical value of the faith and, like, recognize its truth to the fact that it, like, to its mystical aspect that transcends, like, I guess its utility. This is the big thing that I'm still trying to, I want us to talk about this as a community more, and I've talked about it to a couple of y'all, but like Jusani talks about the three reductions of the modern world. The first he says is ideology over an event, meaning prejudice, basically like a system of thought that keeps you from seeing things as they are, right? So I don't see, like, as soon as like I label you this thing, anything you say, probably not true, I disregard, right? So like even people like, like, there's a lot of, like, anti-Catholicism, anti-Christianity, but also, like, anti-opposite political party. Nothing they could possibly say is true, right? And in that, it just, like, compounds more and more and more because there may be things that are true on, like, certain aspects of either side. And the more you disregard that, the more you have the reason to disregard the other. and just builds and builds and builds, right? So that's ideology over an event. The second reduction, he says, is reducing the sign to appearances, right? The practical points to the deeper thing. Why do these things work? What is at the origin of this? That's the question, right? What is at the origin of this? People that live a life of faith do better mental health-wise. That could be indicative of maybe it's because it's true. Like, that's why it works, right? But, like, there's a step that's required that people aren't willing to make. And we're kind of, like, educated to this. Like, the reducing the signed appearances, that I think is, like, the most fascinating and the one I see the most where people have an experience of God in some way. And then they'll be like, huh, that's interesting. And it just stays there. And they don't go past it, right? But the invitation is to follow. What's helpful with that, though, is, like, how often do we live this, right? God throws a million signs in front of us, a million things, and we don't respond. But then at some point we do, Right? So for me, it's like trying to stay in front of my like not responding and showing how patient he is with me and then asking like, do we offer gestures that educate to following the sign? Are we teaching people how to do this? Are we doing this as a community? But this, this exists in them and in us. It's going to be the big thing. And I think one of the things I'm fascinated by in modern Catholicism is a lot of sometimes the emphasis upon specific miracles like Fatima, which is great and amazing. Uh, and true, but I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding where if you just put the miracle in front of them, they will believe and that's it, right? If you put the miracle of Fatima in front of them, or if you just prove the Eucharistic miracle in front of them, that's true. But like that doesn't guarantee the following of the sign that happens interiorly, right? We have to educate people to that actually. 
Um, I do think there's natural things that we can do to like educate through this. And I think asking questions and like the way that we live with others can show them to do that, right? There's a line from T.S. Eliot's Choruses from the Rock, which is awesome. It's so good. But he says, oh, my soul, be ready for the stranger who knows how to ask a question. There's certain questions that can be asked that like can shatter a person in like a positive sense. Again, I, I think that there's more to it than this. But like I think I'm I'm looking at that movement too with a lot of like curiosity, and I think we need to like share in the good with them, uh, while also trying to affirm the deep the deeper thing. Always go farther, go farther into the deep. But the only way we teach others how to do this is if we are allowing the Lord to do this with us. Go deeper, go deeper. So are we following Him inviting us? That's the question. Mm-hmm.